Welcome to Life After Business, the podcast, where I bring you all the information you need to exit your company and explore what life can be like on the other side. This is Ryan Tansom, your host, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome back to the Life After Business podcast. This is Ryan Tansom, your host. I appreciate you tuning back in. Today, we've got a guest. His name is Bobby Kingsbury. Bobby is a partner at MCM Capital Partners. They are a private equity group out of Ohio. And Bobby is on the show today to help us demystify what private equity is, explain their point of view, what works, what doesn't work, how great partnerships work, and then what you should be looking out for as a business owner when you're in the process of looking and vetting out private equity. So, there's a lot of confusing things in that industry and in that market, and our goal today is to hopefully kind of debunk it or give you the ammunition that you need to go and have a good conversation and start vetting the market. So with that said, I hope you enjoy the, the podcast, and if you got any questions or anything you want us to elaborate on, please let us know. How you doing, Bobby? Good, Ryan. How are you, man? Good, good. So thank you very much for coming on the Life After Business podcast. No problem. Happy to do it. Happy to happy to be here. I'm excited for today because um, I think private equity is a world that is very mystical to a lot of our listeners and a lot of people out in the marketplace. And um, so, why don't you give our listeners a little bit of a backdrop on where you came from and how you got into your firm, and then uh, a little bit of an overview of your firm? Sure. Um, my background and story is is probably a a bit unique, especially for for private equity. So I went to uh, Fordham University in in New York City, uh, graduated with a degree in finance, but um, in the intervening period while I was at school, was drafted by the Pittsburgh Pirates. I played professional baseball for six years. Uh, I was fortunate enough to play in the Olympics in 2004, and unfortunately, a a shoulder injury uh, derailed my career, and was able to meet uh, the founder of of MCM Capital. Uh, Mark Mantra, I was able to meet him while giving his son hitting lessons and had a, a life decision to make, uh, whether or not I was going to have another surgery or I was going to, quote unquote, go into the, the real world. Um, I, I Obviously, I ended up uh, at MCM Capital. I think I made the, the, the right decision, although watching the, the Indians last night and a couple of my teammates <laughs> um, really makes me, uh, makes me question that decision sometimes. But... Um, in any case, uh, you know, and MCM Capital has been around uh, since 1992, and um, principally from 1992 to 1998, um, we were what uh, some people in our industry refer to as a fundless sponsor. So as we look for investment opportunities, as we look for private companies to, to buy or management teams to partner with, um, we really didn't have a source, um, a direct source for the equity. Uh, what we did to buy companies is, you know, a, a company would uh, be under letter of intent and Mark uh, and one of his cohorts would go around Cleveland um, and to high net worth individuals and ask if, uh, if they had an interest in investing in, in this company. So they raised capital and then bought the businesses uh, that way. Um, and what year did you get involved in the, the firm? Uh, I, I was involved in, I got started in 2008, so I've been doing it now for eight, eight and a half years. 
Nice. So from yeah. baseball to private equity, man, that, that like you said, there's not a lot of people that can uh, put that on their resume. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, it's it's a little different, and uh, you know, nice nice segue at at times to to really put your your foot in the door and differentiate yourself. So well, put people you know, at ease, I'm, man. You're not like walking in in a big old three piece suit all the time yeah, and saying, "Hey, by yeah. the way, I went to every single school in the Twin City or the <laughs> the United States." Right, right. And I'm not that smart, so they'll they'll, they'll figure out rather quickly. <laughs> so um, before we kind of even get into a little bit more of the history of your firm, so why don't yeah. you give our listeners just a super basic backdrop on what private equity is? Okay. Uh, private equity is um, really, there's uh, a few different forms um, that it can take, but generally speaking, it is a liquidation option for a private business owner. So it's a way to um, diversify his portfolio by selling all or a portion of his business to a private equity fund. So there's different uh, ways that that can happen. And maybe, you know, we'll, we'll go into more specifics, um, later on in the conversation, but, you know, generally speaking, uh, private equity is a way for a business owner, uh, to get liquidity for, uh, his or her business. And so with that being said, is the private equity firm, is it just a bunch of people sitting around with a bunch of money or is it uh, a bunch of suits that are willing to make a bunch of deals? Explain to our listeners exactly what it is that your firm or a firm like yours does and how the whole exchange interaction works. Yeah, so if I, I, I can, you know, there's uh, firms that, that, that have a lot of different strategies, so I can really only speak to to ours um, in, in, in more detail. But uh, we have uh, eight professionals here. Um, we have what, what we call deal teams. Uh, there's you know three individuals, myself included, who run transactions, which means um, when we have an investment opportunity, uh, we are the ones in charge of the uh, investment. We're in charge of the equity that goes into uh, to that investment. We're we we are all sitting at desks. Uh, we're certainly not wearing wearing suits here in Cleveland. We're a little bit more laid back, and most of the time we wear jeans. Quite frankly, or baseball uh, jerseys. <laughs> no, no baseball jerseys. <laughs> um, you know, but we what we have are, are are limited partners. So where where our money comes from, we have limited partners, uh, whether they be endowments, universities, uh, pension funds, high net worth individuals, and our own money. We pool that money together. So people are giving us their money, just like you would a, a wealth manager, um, and uh, entrusting us to make the right investment decisions on their behalf. And instead of buying stocks or bonds, we're buying privately held businesses. And you know, we ex- our, our limited partners expect a, a return on, on their investment, and that's really incumbent upon our judgment. And most importantly, uh, since we like to focus on partnering with uh, incumbent ownership is choosing the right management team in the right business um, to really back and, 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 and put the money behind. So how do you find the money that you use in this pool of money? Um, you know, we, you can hire a, a, a placement agent. Um, so a placement agent is, is somebody that will uh, have relationships with all these endowments, um, with these, with, what people call fund to fund vehicles with high net worth individuals. And they will go around the country and really tout MCM, you know, look at their track record. This is what they've done. This is the type of investments that they make. And if it fits with 
that pension fund, if it fits with, with their strategy, then they might be a fit for MCM. They would uh, come in and meet with us. They would interview us, um, really do a lot of diligence uh, on us since, you know, typically people are committing anywhere from $1 to $10 million um, into our fund and larger private equity funds. I mean, some of those check sizes are 100 to 200 million. So people are investing significant dollars into private equity funds uh, and, and again, trusting them with, with a large number. And I think uh, you hit on a couple of interesting things that I, I think is maybe a little bit more ambiguous for, for business owners where like, you know, your fund, when you're going to the big pension, I mean, just for an example, like Chicago Police Department and their yeah, pension sure. fund or like Allianz Insurance or something like that, and you're pooling that all together along with a bunch of other stuff, right? Yes, exactly. So then, exactly. when when you guys are when you guys are having conversations with those people, because I think it all kind of trickles down. Where what are the expectations that you give them for returns for length of uh, their portfolio, how they can liquidate it, and what kind of control that they have versus you have of the money? Sure. So um, when when you make a commitment to a private equity fund, they uh, generally speaking will lose control over that money. So they're trusting it to us. We have a period of four or five years, depending on what you negotiate, to deploy that capital. So to, to make numbers easy, um, you know, you, you raise $100 million, you have a $100 million fund. Uh, generally speaking, uh, anywhere from 10 to 12% of that fund will go into one company. And generally speaking, you, you typically buy between eight and 10 businesses per fund. Okay. Um, so that that um, uh, Ryan, I'm sorry, I lost. <laughs> no, no, no. I think no. I think it's great because um, just understanding, you know, where the money flows is kind of in my world, or any and business owners know it too, because the banks are giving them checks, right? So who holds yep. the funds holds the power, right? <laughs> I mean, in the in a very um, plain English way of putting it. So just understanding, you know, who's giving you the money and why and what the expectations are and then how you then deploy it, which I think is an interesting word. So why don't you kind of uh, walk us through a, a, a scenario of how you guys, you know, deploy it or using that, those funds then in that $100 million fund? Sure. So t- typically, yeah, I mean, it's, it's very similar to, to buying a house. You know, generally speaking for a house, you're going to put, you know, uh, roughly 20% down. Then you're going to borrow the the other 80 percent you're going to pay it down over you know 15 or or, or 30 years uh, and, and buying a, a business with a private equity fund is 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 not that different aside from the amount of equity that uh, that we put in some private equity funds like to maximize leverage which means they will take on as much debt as they possibly can to increase their return so if they're not if they're borrowing more money and the company does well, they have less money at risk, but they're still going to generate the the same returns. So your IRR is going to increase. And right? so, so for, if, for the listeners that, I mean, I'm just thinking about the common examples that I've heard of in that scenario in the housing market where everybody was yeah. putting almost no money down mm-hmm. and constantly using or renting or flipping with lots of leverage or lots of debt. Yes, and you know, and which is really the reason why we don't do that. If if we had a crystal ball, if everybody had a crystal ball, you would maximize leverage. You would, you know, uh, 
take the largest loan possible and put in as little of your own money as as you could. You know, it's it's just based on a risk profile. But from our perspective, we, we've been fortunate enough over 24 years to never lose money on any leverage buyout we've ever done. And part of the reason, the, the largest part is is obviously partnering with the right management team, partnering with, with, with the right people and right business owners. The second part of that is also not maximizing leverage because we have imperfect information. We live in an imperfect world. So what, what, what we like to do um, is put 50% of the equity in and then we would borrow, uh, I, I'm sorry, 50% of the purchase price in in terms of equity, and then we would borrow the other 50%. So if uh, we were buying a company for $20 million, we would put $10 million of our own money in and then work with our banks to loan us the other $10 million. And that's if the, the business owner was wanting to just walk away, correct? Uh, no. No, um, you, you know there's there's different capital structures in in, in different situations, um, but you know generally speaking that w- whether the business owner wants to stay or he or she wants completely out, um, that structure will will hold up. Now most private equity funds, I would tell you, would be anywhere between that thirty to thirty five percent equity, and they would borrow the rest. And it's a, it's also a function to, to your point earlier of where the uh, lending market is, where the financial market is. As banks' risk appetite increases, they're willing to uh, provide more uh, more leverage to a specific business or to a specific transaction. And I, I don't know if your listeners understand or know, but we buy businesses based on multiples of EBITDA. So your earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization. We, as- we ascribe a multiple uh, to that business to determine value. And those multiples, um, why don't you kind of give everybody, I think this is a perfect segue into it because I think a lot of people are familiar with multiples. I think the, the mm-hmm. big, huge black box is how people determine them. Um, yeah. and there's, you know, there's industry, there's, uh, their buddy told them at the golf course what <laughs> they got for their business. Um, so why don't you kind of walk us through how you guys go about determining what that multiple would be? Yes, and you know it's uh, to, to your point, Ryan. It's always a a very tough thing to do because one, you know, you're you're offering a fair, in your opinion, you know, because it's obviously subjective, a fair value for a particular business, and for most business owners, entrepreneurs, that is his or her baby. Uh, so you don't want to offend them um, <laughs> by uh, by offering. Uh, something low you want to pay uh, a fair value for your business and, and like you mentioned it's it's based on an industry uh it's based on size of a particular business um smaller businesses generally command a a, a smaller multiple because it's it's uh, much more risky um larger businesses tend to command a, a a higher multiple businesses that are um serving the aerospace and defense market uh, businesses that are in uh, life science, biopharma, those businesses tend to uh, generate high, higher multiples. But for, for what we do, uh, you know, which is your brick and mortar, it's, it's your niche manufacturing and value-added distribution, those businesses, um, depending on uh, your, your customer base, is it diverse? Do you have customer concentration? Uh, depending on your gross margin profile, which we use to uh, determine a company's competitive advantage or their competitive position, uh, all, all those factors play in, and generally speaking, with manufacturing distribution companies, anywhere from two to eight million of EBITDA 
will trade from somewhere around five to eight times would be a, a good number. Kind of the, the rule of thumb, as they like to call it. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, and there's going to be times where, you know, the market's overheated. You know, I would not uh, tell a business owner if he or she is not ready to try to time the market. It's the same thing that you wouldn't, you know, that, that you would do if you're, you know, looking at stocks. Uh, you don't want to time the market. You want to exit your business when you are ready. Um, and I think that's that, that, that's the most important thing. I exit the business when you're ready for a fair value. And most importantly, under if you are going to stay with the business, really understand who your partner is. So I think, you know, you hit on a huge piece of crucial um, information right there, which is when you're ready, right? And I think there's this like, when are you ready? And what can you, because right. what, you know, my dad and I experienced, which is, we were burnt out, therefore we were ready, which means yep. you got a lot of stuff that you haven't done properly, right? So there's this kind of yeah sweet spot where you can start doing certain things. So I think I want to start uh, with asking a question, which is why do you see deals fall apart? So you said all those all those factors relay into yeah. a higher multiple, but like how many deals do you guys see a year, and what are the things that are are happening that you just can't absorb for the risk or that that um results in a failure of a deal yeah so um it's a it's a great question um how, how many deals do we see here well we typically see between four to five hundred deals a year so businesses that come across our desk um now the ones that actually fit within our criteria uh of of two to eight million dollars of ebitda and 15 to 75 million in annual revenue and our manufacturing and distribution businesses. That number then would get dwindled down probably to about 225. Um, we go down the path, we become interested in roughly five to 10% of those. Um, you know, so we, we'd be looking hard at maybe 10 to 20 companies a year. And for one reason or, or another, um, maybe it's valuation expectations. Um, you know, we, we don't get to, to the letter of intent stage. Um, when we get to the letter of intent stage, goes from 225 down to 20 to probably about five businesses, four businesses a year, and we close two of them. Okay, so that's a, that's a, lot, of, uh, a lot of work to get those two deals. <laughs> it's, it, it, it's certainly a lot of work to get those two deals, which is why it's, it's very important to develop a relationship uh, with the business owner, entrepreneur, really understand his or her goals, what they're trying to accomplish. And if you can be, if us as a private equity firm, if we can be value added to them, um, you know, from, from that perspective, if they're willing to, to stay on, you know, if they, if they want to retire, you know, that's a, a completely different scenario. So what are the, um, going from 10 to 20 deals on the two, what are the things that stick out? What are the skeletons in the closet? What are the major red flags that you guys are coming across that push them into the not interested category? Yeah, um, you know, first and foremost, usually it's a lot of times it's purchase price. Um, you know, that's that's something that that you have to get past. And you know, what we don't like to do is is a retrade if we bid a number or you know we present a number to the business owner, entrepreneur, we would like to, to stand by that number. Now, some, sometimes things happen during diligence where the numbers aren't what they were represented in. You know, I, I, obviously you have to, um, 
take a look and and re- really reevaluate your your offer. But you know, p- purchase price is is number one. Um, second is a, a lot of times it's cold feet. Um, some business owners or, or entrepreneurs, after going through this process, realize that maybe they weren't truly ready to sell. What are they going to do um, post acquisition when they've been involved, you know, and working so hard in their business for 20, 25, 30 years? Um, and now they have to go home to, to their spouse and then they just sit there and twiddle their thumbs. They don't know what to do. Um, that's certainly uh, an, an issue. Um, when, when we get down that far, you know, other times it's, it's us, you know, really looking at the business, you know, can we pay that number for it and where can we take the business? Most importantly, where can we take the business? Cause you know, as, as we discussed at the beginning of the call, we have a fiduciary responsibility to our limited partners. We have to provide a return. So, you know, the historical numbers are exactly that historical. We're not buying the past. What we're buying is, is the future. And can we generate a a great return? You know, invest in the business, buy new equipment, invest in sales and marketing, operationally, new commercial development. Can we do these things to really increase the value of, of this particular business? I think you that that's a very interesting comment because from my experience, from people I know, you know, when the business owners get in, when it's I, I always uh, relate it back to remember that like the last week of school and you're just like I'm done yeah, <laughs> and like yeah. and that's when finals are and I know that sounds just like a super elementary analogy but it's the mindset and the business owners that I've experienced and worked with where they don't realize that someone else can take this they've got bigger pockets they got more resources and what will that do for them so really having to get your mindset into their world to actually show you that. I mean, do you see a lot of business owners that are that are showing you that or do you have to go in and, and figure that out for yourselves? Uh, I, I would say it's a combination of both, Ryan. You know, some, some business owners have a clear idea of where they would like to take the business. But the problem is, is they feel like they're, they're hamstrung. You know, they've taken so much risk over so many years and they've really increased the value of their business. Do they want to sign their, you know, the dotted line uh, again, personally guaranteeing something, whether it's a new piece of equipment, um, whether it's in, in investing in, in new commercial development for a new product, um, you know, hiring a VP of sales, um, a, a CFO, an operations manager, you know, ma- making those HR investments, or do they want to continue to wear the same hat because they know the job's going to get done right? So in, 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 in our world, we see a lot of the business owners have the idea. They're just done taking that risk. Now, on the other on the other side, is a lot of times a, a business owner a business becomes of size where it really outgrows them, and they don't know what to do, and they feel like if they don't get help soon, you know, bring on a partner or sell it, they may lose that value as as well because the business just has become so large um, that they might not be able to handle it. So you, we've kind of got a spectrum of personalities within the owners, and I think it's a good representation yeah. of the people that are out there where you've got the guy that wants help and has a clear idea, then you've got the guy that's just done, and then there's a the guy yeah. that just knows that he needs to take it somewhere else but doesn't know where. So I think 
in my mind, though, that kind of represents the spectrum of financing too and how the deal is structured. Can you kind of give, you know, the different ends of the spectrum of how you're dealing with those different situations? Yes. Um, you know, so for, for the person that, um, you know, has, is done, they want to, they want to roll up their, their sleeves and, and be finished. Um, you know, in those situations, you know, you, you structure something and it's, you know, it's, it's a hundred percent buyout. Um, you know, you're in, in the private equity world, you, you need to have either a really good number two that's already in place at the business, or you need to have a CEO within your network that you know that you can go ahead and bring into the business and culturally it will align. He'll get along with the employees and he'll really drive growth. So generally speaking from a private equity standpoint, when somebody wants a hundred percent out, um, you know, it's a, it's, it's a little bit tougher situation for us. You know, we will capitalize the, the structure accordingly, but you know, what, what we like, especially at, at MCM, is something called a, a leverage recapitalization where the business owner is anywhere from, pick a number, 50 to, to 65, but still has a lot of, of gas in the tank. He or she loves what they, were, what they are doing. But again, they have this risk profile. They've built up a significant value in their business, and they'd like to take some chips off the table, monetize uh, some of that. So we would buy anywhere from... 60 to 70 percent to 80 what whatever the number is from a private equity uh, standpoint that number you know 60 70 80 90 percent we just need to know that that business owner is going to continue to be engaged so you brought up a point earlier about you know being you know uh, the end of school and finals and done well you talk about giving a business owner 20 million dollars and do they really want to still run <laughs> as hard as they did before? You know, you know, some some have that competitive spirit. I know you and your your, your dad would you know compete against each other and, run, and continue to run as hard because that's just that's the way you're wired. You know, some some business owners, entrepreneurs, you know, they're they're done. You know, and so we, we we call it you know uh, something that I don't want to repeat here. Um, but it's uh, it's, we'll it's, maybe it's, put it in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it. It's called fu money. You yep, know, when yep. when somebody gets fu money, and you know, all, all of a sudden, you know, if if things don't go according to Hoyle, you know, they they just don't want to run as hard, and you can't blame somebody for for doing that. But you know, what we like to do is have all of our interests aligned. Uh, so whatever meaningful number, um, you know, if, if we're buying sixty percent of the business and they're getting, um. Uh, you know, whatever the number is, say it's, you know, 10 million bucks for, for 60% of the business. When you look at that $10 million of their net worth, of their plans, you know, what number would they like to reinvest into the business on a go forward basis? You know, we have to look at that business owner and say, yes, that's meaningful to him. Or, you know, ask that business owner, you know, you, you, you kind of get a pretty good idea. If, you know, he's getting a check for $10 million and he wants to invest $500,000 back into the business, you kind of have a feeling where, you know, that's, they're about done. Yep. You know, but if, if, if they want to invest two and a half, three million dollars um, back into the transaction, you, you know, you have some of those, those are it's a, a, a lot of money and meaningful dollars that you're going to get that person's, you know, a hundred percent. So I think that, uh, 
uh, brings up to mind for me the analogy that everybody brings up, which is uh, two bites of the apple. So you want to yep. kind of crystallize what that means? Yes. So it, it's an opportunity for a business owner in a leverage recapitalization situation um, where they can uh, take some chips off the table. So you, you're taking, you know, as the last example, you're taking that $10 million off the table. You're reinvesting $2.5 million into that business on day one. Five years later, you know, so that, say that gets you 25%. Uh, of, of the business going forward. Five years later, we continue to grow that business, and instead of $10 million, now you're getting a check for $40 million. Got it. The, the, the business is worth $40 million, so now you're getting 25% of that $40 million box. So you're getting another $10 million bucks. That's yeah, a pretty good return. A, <laughs> it's a, it's, you know, and, and sometimes it happens like that. It doesn't always happen like that. Um, and I, I, I don't know if this is uh, too much detail, but a, a structure that, that we use um, is generally not that if, if a business owner really wants to stay involved in a business going forward, um, it's generally not that $10 million, um, that $2.5 million reinvest. What we like to see in a, a structure that we do is if we paid somebody $10 million um, and we wanted them to retain you know, 30 or 40% of the business, we would write, uh, they, they would get 30 or 40% of the common stock for 30 or $40,000. Now, the difference being is if somebody offered $15 million for a business, we would, and, and required them to reinvest $5 million, so their net is 10. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? You following yep. so far? Yep. If, if their net is 10, we would invest, or we, we would offer $12 million for that um, same business, and we would ask them to reinvest $40,000 to get 40% of the business. Hmm. And, and, and the reason we do that structure is, is one, um, you know, what we like to do, again, is have everybody's interests aligned. So that, that business owner didn't do it by themselves. They had a team of, of folks that helped grow that business. And, again, we all like to be rowing in the same direction, have everybody on the boat, um, you know, and, and headed towards one goal. So what that allows somebody to do is that those key executive managers – those, you know, VP of sales, you know, CFO, chief operations officer, who, whomever the business owner deems very appropriate, um, we would, it provides us a chance to give them some equity. So we typically set aside 8 to 12% of the equity for that key executive group. And now setting, giving a, a VP of sales 2% of the business, he only has to write a check for $2,000 hmm. versus you know, getting 2% of the business, having to write a check for, I don't know, call it $200,000. Yep. Generally, they don't have that kind of, of money in the bank to be able to write that check going forward. So it's a, it's a way for, one, you know, us to really uh, provide some liquidity for the business owner and have a significant equity ownership or upside second bite of the apple going forward for a small, um, a, a, a nominal amount. And then also provide a way for the key executive team to to get some equity as well. That's I I love it. It's all like that big old Rubik's cube of of money and interests and getting everybody on the same page is just totally key. Exactly right. Exactly right. And and then we put um, together if somebody doesn't have it or a business owner doesn't have an incentive based comp plan, 
we instill that as well. We will never take something away when we get involved in the business. We would only increment. You, you can't go into a business as a new owner and say, oh, yeah, by, by the way, that you know, extra $1,000 a month that you were getting for as a bonus, now we're taking that away. Uh, you know, that, that certainly doesn't bode well for employee morale. So if something isn't implemented into the business, we would instill incentive-based comp plan. Um, on top of that key executive comp where the CEO gets a bonus, that person sweeping the shop floor gets a bonus. If the person sweeping the shop floor does not get a bonus, neither does the CEO. I like it. I like it a lot. It's uh, commissions and incentives drive behavior. <laughs> yeah. It, it show me how I'm incented and I'll show you how I'll act. Right. So now that we're kind of discussing behavior, what are some of the challenges you've seen i mean i don't like to work for other people i know that i'm speaking on my yeah. own behalf um, yeah. how do the owners and the key managers how do you integrate the cultures and the management teams because i'm not speaking on your behalf but a lot of buyers that i've talked to you know it's the culture fit it's can this guy work for us i mean yeah the whole financial model might work together but how do you deal with the people factor yeah man it, ryan you hit the nail on the head uh culture is extremely important um you know so if, if i were to talk to to business owners you know first thing what you know i i would ask them is do you get along with this private equity fund because at the end of the day if you're staying on it is a marriage it is absolutely a marriage and to your point some people um cannot work for anybody else uh when when we get involved with the business um yes you will have a, a a boss, maybe for the so for some people the first time in their life, others for the first time in a really long time. Um, but how, how how we interact is we do not micromanage. Um, we are more hands off. We look at a business as a stew. The management is the meat and potatoes, and we are the salt and pepper. So we add value where, where we can. We do not micromanage. We do not make uh, HR decisions. For the CEO, he or she will win or lose with their own management team. Now, they will be held accountable. If the business is not performing, you know, there there has to be a change made. You know, but if the business is, is performing, um, you know, generally speaking, you're you're not going to see a a CEO get get fired. Some private equity funds, alternatively, like to um, really be be hands on, rip and replace. I've heard. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of horror stories out there that you've heard. Yes, there's there's certainly some that that, that do that, and that's why I would I, I would really stress and really understand you know the the private equity fund that you're partnering with, who they are, are as as people get get to know them. You know, do they have families? Do they have kids? Um, you know, how, talk to prior CEOs. How, you know that that they partnered with before in the past. You know, some will say yes, we do leverage recapitalizations all the time with incumbent ownership. And then, you know, if you ask them to speak to some of their CEOs, well, every single one of them is replaced, you know, and and that will give you a very good idea. Now, in some cases, the CEO says, I'm going to give you two years and I'm done, you know, but you can still talk to the private equity fund to say, you know, that the business owner that you bought the business from, you know, and the current CEO, would you mind if I if I spoke with them? You know, and if, if, if a private equity fund is, is worth their salt and they're good people and they've you know, believe in what they've done and help that value to a business, you know, you'd be, you'd be happy to give them that, that contact information. Well, and I think, you know, for our listeners too, I, I've, it's a really refreshing strategy 
coming from your, I mean, you guys are true partners and I, um, just a little bit of a, a side note is, you know, there's a lot of horror stories out there, but it, it's a lot of the, like I said, the rip and replace, but you know, if you think about as a business owner, I mean, you're still leveraged by your bank, your bank still could pull your note. And I've, uh, been on the sides yeah. of those conversations where, so you still technically have a boss, right? And what, and even people that have AR right. financing where the, they've got an asset based lender who is collecting for them. That's even mm-hmm. possibly more of a boss than in your situation where we never knew that the private equity world really existed. I mean, yeah. we did, we had some exposure to it. It was not great, but what, if we would have found a partner, it's like, holy cow, someone with bigger pockets that actually can accomplish my dreams. It allows yeah. that person to expand their horizon and not just, you know, go get a check from a bank because yes. in, in, in essence, it's kind of the same thing. Yeah. And it, it, it's to help you. So, you, you know, we're, we're more involved in a, or at least we would hope we're more involved, um, than a bank from the standpoint that we want to help, you know, grow the business. Obviously we've invested a lot of our money from our LP base and ours own personally into this business. And we want to see it, see it succeed. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of business owners that, that, that may not be able to, to handle, you know, like we said, having a partner, but really understanding who they are, how, how they're going to act is, is vitally, vitally important. Well, then uh, I think you had mentioned that your niche is manufacturing and finding the right partner in the right industry, too, because I, I, I mentioned that I, I, didn't, I don't ever like bosses. But you know, if, you come, if, I, if I would have had the opportunity that someone could have slingshotted me into the industry and made the right contacts, you yeah. all sell more together, and then that's more of a team. So technically, you, know, you don't, quote, unquote, have a boss. You'd have a partner. Yes, and, you know, and that's the way that we, we look at it. Now, ultimately, you know, is, is it our decision? You know, to uh, again hire fire the, the CEO, yes, but we really, really view um, our, our our transactions as a partnership with with incumbent management, and you know our our success. You know, we we realized long ago, and I said it at the beginning, is that we're not that smart. Uh, we did not build that business from the ground up. We did not run it for the last twenty to twenty five years. So, what makes us think after doing seventy five days of due diligence? and maybe owning a few other portfolio companies, that we would know how to run it better than he or she did for the last 20 years. Now, can because we're exposed to so many different companies that a lot of companies share the same growing pains and issues, and you know, can we bring uh, things to the table? Absolutely. But I'm not pretending to be an engineer. You know, I'm not pretending to be a, sales and, you know, a, a VP of sales and marketing. I'm not pretending to, to be the CEO. You know, it's, it's more from a a board level and really trusting uh, that person to to run the business. Which I think, you know, just to major put an um, exclamation point on this is the, the key management team and the number two, you know, if a person wants to kind of walk away a little bit more, um, a little sooner than they wanted to, having that key yeah. management, because that'll, that'll be the glue that interlocks you guys. Yes, and, and, and if you think four or five years down the road, you know, you, you have to, when, when you're working with a, you know, it, t- take the old adage, you always want to hire people smarter than you. You know, at some point you're going to be done and you want to see that organization continue to thrive. So grooming a, a, a number two is not just a good idea for the business owner now, 
but it's a good idea for the business owner after they partner with a private equity f- fund because m- most of the time that business owner, it's, it's they're getting that second by the apple. We've had a few business owners who are younger at 50, and they've gotten two, three, and four bites at the apple. They're nice and full. Uh, <laughs> yes. <yeah. laughs> but, but, but generally speaking, it's, it's going to be that, that one bite, one bite of, uh, of the apple. And you really want to make sure, you know, again, who you partner with is, is key. So to leave our listeners with, you know, one bit of advice or something we haven't covered, what would it be? Um, man, it's a, it's a very good question. Um, you know, r- really understand um, what your business is worth. Take emotions aside. Uh, take conversations that you have with others that have sold their business before in context. And really do your diligence up front. You know, for, for most owners, entrepreneurs, this is a once-in-a-lifetime event. You do not want to have regrets. I know you know, money on paper, you know, somebody's looking at your business. Well, this person offered me $25 million for my business. Well, this person offered me $20 million. I'm going with 25. Now that $25 million experience may not be the best of the best of choices. Really understand who that partner is. You know, if, if you're going, if, if you're going to sail off into the sunset, God bless you, you know, take, Take the money and run. Um, but if it, if you're really serious about staying with the business, diversifying your risk, getting that second by the apple, really understand who your partner is, and all those questions should be addressed before the transaction happens. Before you, you know, people want to say before you come pregnant. Do not go so far down the path that you feel that you can't pull yourself out. And at the end of the day, if you do feel that way, you can always say no you can pull back don't feel like you've gone too down too far down that path and oh you know we've spent all a couple hundred thousand dollars on all this and we're really close don't do that don't make that mistake this is a once in a lifetime event in your life make it right and have no regrets absolutely fantastic advice bobby where can our listeners get a hold of you uh at bobby at mcmcapital.com so it's b-o-b-b-y at mcmcapital.com Dot com. Thanks for coming on the show. No problem.